Well, the things you learn in the commercial break. The Duke just said it's uh, Phil Collins' birthday today, Grant. Actually, I saw that on Facebook this morning. Oh, see, Grant's even ahead of you, Duke. <laughs> I just learned it 10 minutes ago, wow. not even five minutes ago. You know, he had there was that one really, really good video that he had, and I can't remember. It's called The Puppets Are In There. What's it? State of Confusion something? Like it was a music video? Yeah, music oh. video. There's oh, a I... bunch of it looks. There's like, it's real cool. I don't know. Donovan, come on. Hey. <laughs> Donovan doesn't even he's know who Phil Collins no, is. No, he probably doesn't. <laughs> he knows In the Air tonight, and that's in, the extent. Yeah. Is that your favorite song, Grant? Probably that In the Air tonight? Yeah, that one's probably the best of the bunch. Yeah. And they're doing it. Is it Monday Night Football? The remake? Is it yeah, yeah. Chris Stapleton yeah, and then uh, Snoop Dogg, a little, little ditty on there. <laughs> Snoop Dogg. Have you ever met him, Grant? I have not. <laughs> is it on the list? Uh, you know, actually. Joe Carter had him at his golf tournament one year out in Toronto, so we get a chance to see him. But didn't get an opportunity to meet him. Uh, Land of Confusion is the song. So I said State of Confusion. Yeah. Same close. thing for me. Very close. Uh, Sonny sent a text in, Grant, that says, I great hearing these stories from Cam Connor today. I always wondered why the Oilers traded him. When you saw him play after, do you have that same... Why did the, I mean, he kind of explained it, I guess, Grant, because he had a lot of injuries and, you know, things like that in that year that he was here. But boy, he would have, he would have been a nice piece to the puzzle in the early 80s, wouldn't he have? Oh, yeah. He played good, hard nosed hockey. And teams have to have that. <clears throat> the good teams, you, the guys in that bottom six forwards don't get a lot of the credit, but come playoff time, they do a lot of the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. He, he reminded, like, he would have been. Kevin McClellan before Kevin McClellan got here. Is that is that accurate? That's, that's a good analogy for it. Yeah. So kind of like a Davy Hunter, but a little meaner. Yeah. Which is hard to say because <laughs> Hunt was pretty mean when he played. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And great guy. And again, does a lot of stuff with the alumni here. Again, I ran into him at the Oilers alumni curling event, and we were just talking that he still. He said he's still skating out at Horlack Park. He goes uh, at Horlack Park uh, twice a week. He said, and he does 10k around. That's, hey, there's not a whole lot you can do in the winter, so yeah. there's nothing better than skating outdoors. Amazing. So, are you ready, Furzy, for are you in or are you out? Ready as I'll ever be. All right, he's in. Let's get at her, Duke. We had some great times. We're about to have some more. I know that look. I'm putting together a team. Then I'm in. Just when I thought I was out. Are you in or are you out? On Sports 1440. I'm out. All right, Duke, let him rip, baby. So, so leading off of the conversation we had with Frank Saravalli earlier today about the decisions made by the NHL when assigning the co-captains or assistant captains to their uh, respective captains at the All-Star Weekend. Uh, I'm saying Connor and Leon should not have been pre-assigned to the same team. Either force uh, Connor to make a pick choosing him or uh, let them square off against each other over the course of the weekend. Oh, you know, I get I get Frank's um, thought process and philosophy on this, but I'm going to go, I'm out on this. I I would rather see Connor and Leon together. And I think it would have been a tough situation for all parties involved, having see them play against each other, seeing someone have to pick 
someone? What if Connor doesn't get the first pick or whatever? Then obviously, are they flipping a coin for this Duke or what are they doing? I have no idea. Yeah, draw out of a hat, short straw. I don't know. First of all, these guys get pissed off at the All-Star game enough in what happens, all the players. I think that you're going to throw this one into the into the hat and put another wrench into the uh, into the process of what happens here. I think that would get them upset even more. So I'm going to go, I am out on this, the fact that they shouldn't have been. Or in, I guess. I'm in. No, you're out. I'm out. I'm, I'm saying they shouldn't be on the same team. Or yeah. at least, it, like, they Again, could end up on the same team. double thing I can't they figure could, it they out. They could end up on the same team, but like Frank said, make Connor have to use like his first pick on him. Yeah, like they, they decided they okay. were on the same team. I'm in I'm in the fact they should have been pre-assigned. Fierzy? Yeah, I'll agree with that. I mean, everybody likes seeing those two play together. So the fact that it's an all-star game, they're a good fit together. And it's, it would be a lot of fun for the fans to see that, I mean, if he same kind of a pairing when you've got a Matthews and Marner or Matthews and anybody in Toronto, you want to see them together. So I, I kind of like the idea of them sticking together. Good. And, and anytime we can disagree with Frank, it's a good thing, Grant. <laughs> Uh, sticking with the NHL's All-Star Weekend, uh, the big skills competition coming up with the big purse for whoever emerges victorious. And that can be debated, the validity of that versus the individual and everybody involved, yada, yada. But I'm saying that uh, there should be a completely separate skills competition just for the goalies and it coming with its own lucrative purse for the victor. I'll have to let you go first on this one. <laughs> <laughs> that one's easy. I'm in. I mean, it Goalies kind of get lost in the shuffle at the All-Star game. So to have a skills competition for goalies with their own separate purse, I'm definitely all about that. I think they get the, the you know what, end of the stick at the All-Star games. With all the events that they have to kind of uh, be a part of, the, it's way tougher. Their events that they have to be a part of than what the, the forwards or defensemen are going. So I agree with you, Fierzy. I think that they're they, and I think they're getting a hundred grand. Is that did we figure that, that out? I think that was confirmed by. Although Donovan's research has already proven to be not the most reliable, uh, based on the earlier All Star Game discussion for nineteen eighty six. But yeah. yes, we believe a hundred grand for, and that's just like the one event that whoever makes the most saves, right? That's the one event for the shootout. Yeah. So I'm going to agree with you, Fierzier. I think that the goalies are almost an afterthought here at the NHL All-Star Game. And, yeah, and- no, I'll, I'll agree with that. It's, it's never a lot of fun for the goalies. You enjoy the game and such, but once you go to the three-on-three, the goalies are not enjoying that quite as much. And and so like what events would you like to see the goalies do? Like we've seen them do the the skate like the fastest goalie skater is kind of like a one heat thing in the when they're doing the players one. Uh, you've seen the goalies shoot from the other Man. end for the empty net and stuff. So like what other type of things would you like to see integrated to like test the full rounded ability of a goaltender for like you said to just like this uh, player skill this year's player skills comp does? Oh, you could create some agility things. You could create some different shooting drills for them. There's a lot of different things you can do for goalies to basically showcase their skills. Would you ever entertain a, like a side-to-side, post-to-post with a one-timer? <laughs> I don't know about the one-timer thing. <laughs> Take it a couple off the kneecaps. Yeah, just pounding we didn't like in that in practice, so an all-star <laughs> game, you don't really need that bonus one-timer. Hard, hardest shot. Goalie hardest shot. Who can really lean into it the the best with the... Uh, did you ever have your uh, like your shot uh, with a you know um, clock clocked how how fast it was miles an hour? Oh hell no! Yeah, 
I mean, when I started, I was a terrible puck handler. So, <laughs> so we, we had to figure that one out as we went along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Duke, Duke, they measure his on a sundial. <laughs> <laughs> accurate. Very, very accurate. Uh, number three, the news coming out this morning that uh, Justin Turner signing on a one-year contract with the Toronto Blue Jays. Maybe not the biggest name that Jays fans were hoping for, but uh, still a good body for the lineup. I'm saying this upcoming season, he'll play a minimum of 100 games and hit 20 home runs and an average of 270 for the Blue Jays. Ooh, this is These are all numbers that are very close to where he was last year. I'm thinking he can pretty well duplicate with maybe a little bit of a uh, downturn in his numbers. So I'm, I'm going to agree that he'll play 100 games. I think he's going to hit 20 or 21 home runs. I think he might just be under the 270. So I'll go two out of three in agreement on this one, Duke. I'm going to agree with all three. I think he could hit in the 275 range. I think he'll definitely get the 20 home runs, and I think he'll play 100 games. And depending on what they've got hitting in front of him and hitting behind him, it could be even higher. I wonder where he'll he'll probably slot in at five. I would imagine. I think they'll just replace Brandon Belt's spot in the lineup with yeah, Justin Turner. He's he, obviously not as patient of a hitter. He moved up though, and they wanted lefty righty, lefty righty. Now again, they only have two left-handed bats in the lineup and one of them is Biggio. Yeah. Uh, and the other is Varsho. So not exactly your two most prolific hitters. No. So they are they're they're if they the lefty righty thing is still a concern for this team, but I still like this signing. Number 4 this weekend uh, reports coming out that Adam Silver expected to get a contract extension with or as the NBA's commissioner, pardon me, it will take him uh, to the end of this decade, which will make it 16 years on the job at the completion of that deal. He's coming up on his 10th year anniversary this year. Uh, quite simply, I think commissioners of Pro Sports League should have term limits on mm. their time on the job. I'm going to be. Uh, do you want to go first, Fruzzi? Go ahead, Fruzzi. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. I'm not, I wouldn't be unhappy with term limits. It's kind of like politicians. <laughs> at a certain point, you kind of flatten out with your thoughts and ideas. So I could see term limits on commissioners. I'm going to agree with you as well. I, I think it, it it adds a little bit of a freshness to it. When you look at the three main commissioners, I mean, Roger Goodell's been around a long time. He makes, what, $40, $50 million a year. 67 last year. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, but when you're running... Sorry, 63.9, 63, Running multi, multi-billion dollar company, uh, that's what execs make. Gary Bettman, how many years for him, Duke? Gary Bettman took over in 93. So he's coming up 31 years. And uh, David Stern, prior to Adam Silver, was on the job for 30 years uh, to the day. Like, wow. they're virtually, because even if what you was, go back in what the What was Pete Rozelle in the NFL? Do you know uh, that? I have it in front of me here. Rozelle started in six, so he went for 29 years, or 60 to 89. <sighs> Boy, there's a lot of guys that have been around a long time. So they're like politicians. It's It's a lifetime gig. Yeah. <laughs> And obviously the owners, they're the ones that decide who is going to be the commissioner. And obviously every owner in so far all of these sports, except for baseball, (laughs) really enjoys the commissioner that they have. So they have to be doing something right. And every one of these sports, if you look at the revenue generated that they've increased from uh, decade to decade, year to year, it's quite phenomenal. So... I'm going to go the other way around. I'm going to disagree with this. I'm going to say if that commissioner's doing the job, why not leave him in? And But I, I think Grant made a good point. Like, same with politicians. Just because they're doing a good job doesn't mean that that's the reason it's their time is up. It is It is a good idea to get some fresh ideas in. Because I think you can say Bettman, uh, Stern, Silver, 
uh, and Goodell have all done a tremendous job over the time. I mean, Ziegler, he got ousted by the owners basically because of a 10-day strike uh, back in the early 90s before, right before uh, Bettman took over with Gil Stein kind of on an interim basis. So, like, the fresh ideas thing, I think, is the biggest idea where you're still doing a good job. Like, the the NFL, it's going to just be a license to print money regardless of who's at the helm. So, like, maybe getting a fresh uh, fresh head in there to generate uh, what you and Spec kind of were talking about a little earlier, Kevin, about maybe there are some new rules, uh, some integration of some CFL stuff to make mm-hmm. it a little more exciting and grow it even more because just because you're growing doesn't mean you should be content with the progress. You can always kind of aspire for a little bit more. But mm-hmm. uh, And last one, on the note of term limits... Uh, this day, 1882, 32nd uh, President of the United States, Franklin Roosevelt, of course, the only president to serve more than eight years uh, during the wartime. Uh, I'm saying if the United States were to go with a second installment of Mount Rushmore, FDR would be the first name on the list to be on it. Wow. Fierzy, you're the American <laughs> resident here. <laughs> um, I'll go with yes. I mean, I'm... Right now, politicians aren't real popular, so you'd have to go back a long ways to find a popular <laughs> oh, one. Oh, boy. I can't even find a, like, if you were to find a, a world leader or a prime, mini- prime minister, a premier, I don't, I can't even name one off the top of my head that's doing a good job right now anywhere. Well, it's kind of a mess everywhere. I think that, and it's a matter of who's got the bigger mess. I think that's more of the debate than whether it's a mess or not. Um, every time that I see or hear FDR, I, I immediately think to the Seinfeld episode, FDR, Franklin Delano Romanowski. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was the guy that told Kramer to drop dead, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, so I don't know. He's the only thing that we have to fear is fear itself, right? So I'll go in with this one, Duke. I don't know. I'm like, well, like, cause who's like, the other? So well, like Grant be- said, no recent politicians have to be anywhere close to it. Everybody hates them now. Yeah. But Are like. They- does JFK qualify? He was president for three, just over three years before mm-hmm. being, I mean, the assassination, of course, but uh, was that is that enough time to really cement yourself? And Well, if you're going to say where there's going to be four more, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I mean, JFK would probably have to be in that conversation if you're going to use the four that are there already. Yeah. I mean, there's some bad ones even that are still in the top 10. Lyndon Johnson. <laughs> well, that like... I mean, Richard Nixon, of course, the unceremonious oh. exit from office, but he was a pretty good president. I don't know about that, Duke. I think uh, uh, history well, will say that he... Anytime you're impeached and you get, you know, <laughs> That's you what resign, I said besides well, that. I think that might have a little bit to do with it. I'm not saying I would put him on it, but like he, his term as president before that was successful. Got oh, out successful and got policies. Out. Wait till yeah. Trump gets in here again, then you're going to put him on there too. <laughs> Wait, that, that's history. Only his second time uh, non-consecutive terms. Grover, yeah. Cle- Grover Cleveland being the first, a name that, of course, everyone remembers, yes. right? Oh, well, some good ones. And I, yeah, I mean, this is, you see what Trump's going on with him now. I mean, it's yes. going to be, you, are you getting a lot of that down there, Grant? Like just every day in the news watching and things like that with Trumper? That's that's all we get every day, all day. Yeah, I bet. So, Election it, year. It makes for a good reason to find the sports channels. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. Well, good job uh, on that, Duke, as usual. When we come back, uh, we will talk a little NBA basketball around the league with Jake Fisher from Yahoo Sports. That's coming up. Kevin Carius, Grant Fuhr on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Uh, just before we get to Jake Fisher from Yahoo Sports online, there's a little Billy Joel for you, Grant. You probably saw yeah. him. You probably would have seen him a few times. 
I, you know what? I never did see him. Oh, really? Huh. I always, I always enjoyed, like, the, back in the day, he, you know, he had that, what was it, 52nd Street or 51st Street album. Yeah. It was a really good one. They had so many amazing, uh, amazing uh, hits on there. But, yeah, really good entertainer for sure. Uh, have you been following a little bit of basketball here in the next last little bit, Grant? Uh, you know what? Not as much as I would normally follow. Mm-hmm. It's kind of been hockey, hockey, hockey. Yeah. You guys are, again, uh, uh, was it Calgary tomorrow and Thursday? Tomorrow and Thursday, Tucson Saturday. So oh Calgary's just behind us. Tucson's right on our tail. So boy. it's a big weekend for a big finish of the week for us. And those are all those are all home games, right? Those are all home games. Okay, cool. So we'll talk about that in a bit here. Uh, time now to talk a little um, NBA basketball as uh, we welcome in Jake Fisher from Yahoo Sports, senior NBA reporter and uh, new author uh, with a book uh, called Built to Lose, how the NBA's tanking era changed the league forever. Before we get to that uh, and how you pen that book, uh, Jake, welcome to the show. You're with Kevin Carius uh, and our co-host, uh, Hockey Hall of Famer Grant Fuhrer. Uh, welcome to the show. What's going on, guys? How are you? Well, we're looking forward to this uh, little chit-chat. Uh, let's start last night. <laughs> I mean, I caught the tail end of the Bucks nuggets game the fourth quarter or so. I mean, that was star power, uh, uh, as much star power as you can imagine. What did you make of that game last night? Yeah, a potential finals preview, right? And I think, you know, a lot of the way I watch the regular season these days through my work lens is trying to watch who they're trying to figure out things about. And, you know, Milwaukee, it's the first game head coach Doc Rivers are trying to see if there's any tangible differences between the defense and the offense under a new coach compared to Adrian Griffin. And the big takeaway the whole time to me is just Denver remains the juggernaut. They have a complete five-man lineup that was obviously unbeatable in a serious format last playoffs. And to me, as fun as it was with the Wolves and the Thunder battling down uh, the pike in the West – I think Denver remains the, the favorite for the title until they can be unseated. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Grant. So with the Lakers playing so well in the in-season tournament, and since that's ended, what's happened to them? Well, I think the in-season tournament was a fun rallying around LeBron moment for that team. You know, the, the bracket also broke well for the Lakers, where – their, their steepest competition was the Phoenix Suns, and they had injury issues. I don't think Devin, I don't think um, Bradley Beal really played at all in any of the Suns' in-season tournament activities. And I think there was a lot of momentum with LA, being that LeBron wanted to win, he wanted to have the first banner, he wanted to have the first tournament on his resume, and it was in Las Vegas where he wants. He made no secret about it. He wants to own a team once that expansion gets done. And Adam Silver even joked about it when he handed the trophy at half court. So I, I think that there was some like undercurrent of that where LeBron, you will, the league is solid by taking this first iteration of the tournament seriously. And he wanted to kind of be another crowning moment in his uh, campaign, I guess you could say, to try to be the, the primary owner of whatever a team does make its way to Las, to Las Vegas. Is this a, Are they going to do this tournament 100% for sure next year, you think, Jake? It's definitely coming back. Adam Silver's made allusions to that in, in multiple press conference settings. I don't know if we're going to have the exact same format. I think in talking to 
people at the league office like Evan Wash, who is one of the, the leading minds in all these types of scheduling ideas. He helped create the, the, the play-in tournament as well. They're, they're thinking about ways to further incentivize the, cha- the champion of the tournament and how to figure out the best way to optimize the scheduling. But I think the overall goal for the league was to have more enthusiasm about regular season games, which pretty much all these games besides the championship game counted as a regular season game. So that was successful in that regard. I think the bigger goal for the league was to have it be able to be some standalone property where an Amazon or another entity would be willing to come into the league's next uh, media rights negotiations and buy that tournament and, and just have the rights to that. I think we're from that goal, though, which makes me think the league is going to try to keep juicing up that product. Yeah, all about the dollar bills. Jake Fisher, our guest, uh, Kevin Carey's Grand Fury Sports 1440. What did you make of the trades the Toronto Raptors made? Uh, you know, their deadline has happened, uh, you know, weeks prior to the deadline of uh, February 8th, but uh, just your take on what the Raptors did. Yeah, and I think, you know, to say it's over might be a little bit shortchanging in the fact that they could still move Gary Trent Jr. and Chris Boucher, and I know they'll get calls on Dennis Schroeder as well, but I think the overall takeaway was Toronto last year this time, you know, they still had Fred Van Vliet, they still had Nick Nurse, and Messiah Jerry's front office believed in that roster and hoped that maybe just adding a, a true starting center and Jakob Pertl would be able to raise the floor of that group that, that still had a lot of vestiges from that 2019 championship run. And it just, it just wasn't the case. You know, Nick Nurse... His voice ended up running out, and Fred VanVleet walked in free agency for nothing. And I think that fear of having that issue happen again, where Pascal was an expiring contract, OG Ananobi had a player option for next season that he was definitely expected to decline. And I don't think the Raptors wanted to wait and, and risk the chances of either of those guys leaving without giving anything in return, just like VanVleet had been this past June. So... I think it was an ultimate like teardown move, but the Raptors also had opportunities to get back pieces like Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett and, and Bruce Brown, who's going to be another retrade candidate here. But in, in the interim, there are actual pieces to build around as opposed to like tearing this down to the studs. And that they believe Scotty Barnes can be a franchise centerpiece, so they now have two young running mates in Quickly and Barrett to pair them. And we'll see what happens with Bruce Brown Jr. here as the trade deadline picks up next week. Grant? So, through the first half of the year, who would you be your biggest surprise? I'd say the Minnesota Timberwolves. Not that I didn't expect them to be good, but I didn't expect them to be this good. And, I mean, they've been pretty wire-to-wire, the, the best team in the Western Conference this season, where we had Denver, as we talked about, and the Clippers and the Suns are supposed to be up at the top of things and Golden State and Sacramento. Like the Wolves have just corrected every issue they had last year, which seemed to be like a season from hell almost when they, by all accounts, kind of overpaid for Rudy Gobert, right? They gave up five first-round picks and multiple young players, and it just didn't work out. They, they barely made the playoffs. They put up a, a, a whimper of a fight in the first round against Denver, uh, 4-1. And to come back this season and have it all work out, where Chris Finch is on the leading of the pack and, and coach of the year stuff, and 
Anthony Edwards continues to take steps forward. I, I think the Wolves being like this, not dominant, but I'll say just strongly shaped and putting out like a real night-to-night effort. He had to go into a tough environment, OKC last night, for example, on the road, and never really kind of be in doubt. But that, that, that was, that's been impressive to me. Jake Fisher, Yahoo Sports with us on Sports 1440. Having said that, uh, is the balance of power and does Minnesota have to still go through Denver, do you think, uh, in the West? Is Denver a better team than Minnesota right now? I do think that. I do. I, I think they're a little bit deeper. I think Minnesota, with all those assets out the door for Rudy Gobert, it's left them empty in terms of draft capital to really be able to make any extra improvements here. And, and they don't really have like a young piece that's in the development program that they're coming and, and hoping is going to be taking the next stride where Denver's got Peyton Watson and Christian Brown and Julian Straff and this young core of guys that they think can continue to develop on rookie contracts and help them add much needed depth behind that five-man lineup. I think Minnesota is still a little bit aggressive in trying to look at what type of backup guards they can find on the trade market here. Yeah, so, yeah I, I still think Denver is the team to beat in the West. Go ahead, Grant. So going into playoffs this year, who would be your biggest sleeper? I think they're not so quiet right now, but to, to, to shift this over to the Eastern Conference, the New York Knicks, I think, have a real chance to be an absolute problem for any of the teams at the top from Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia standpoint, where Dylan Brunson's playing at a real all-star level, an all-star game, even though he wasn't named a starter. And OG Ananobi, that, that trade from Toronto mm-hmm. we were just talking about, he's been absolutely perfect. For, for New York and Tom Thibodeau's rotation there, like plus 46 for 100 possessions or something crazy like that. Um, definitely in the 40s when OG and I on the floor, which is just an insane statistic. Nikola Jokic, his numbers are around like 15 points per 100 possessions better when, when he's on the floor in Denver. So this goes to show just what a, a crazy impact OG and had, and I don't think New York's done. I think they're still looking at what they can do with – Evan Fournier's expiring salary, and Quentin Grimes, a, a fun young guard who has some interest on the league. He's fallen out of Tom Thibodeau's rotation. So if they can get another piece from the door, you know, it'll depend on how bad Julius Randle's uh, recent shoulder dislocation will really be. But I think the Knicks at full strength, at full health, they could be as viable a threat in the Eastern Conference as anybody. Jake, what about uh, Indiana? What do you see the Pacers doing here in the next little bit? The Pacers, I think... Obviously, they made their big move with Pascal Siakam. I, I still think they're on the hunt for just maybe a little tweak and an upgrade here, being that they still have a bit of a front court line jam where they trade for Obi Toppin, who's, who's played very well for them uh, late in, in the free agency window. And they drafted Jarris Walker, a power forward out of Houston. They have Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson, all before they got Pascal Siakam. So there's still. A, opportunity for them to maybe trade two players for one that I think on the wing they could definitely benefit from having another two-way defensive uh, three-and-D-minded player. But they're supposed to get Tyrese Halliburton tonight mm-hmm. when the Pacers play Boston on TNT. And this is really going to be the, the, the stretch of the, of the second half of the season here is really going to be about having him healthy and having him and Pascal Siakam develop some chemistry that they really haven't had a chance to being that 
Halberton's had some injury stuff here ever since Yakum came to town. Jake Fisher, our guest on the Kevin Carey Show with Hockey Hall of Famer Grant Fuhr on Sports 1440. Fisher from uh, Yahoo Sports, senior NBA reporter and also the author of the book Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. How did this book come about, Jake? Yeah, thanks for asking about it. It's, you know, 300 interviews I did, over 300 interviews from GMs to star players to coaches and uh, player agents, and it really highlights 2013 to 2016, those NBA drafts and all the backstories behind them, secret pre-draft workouts and trade negotiations and coaches and GMs getting hired and fired based off of the, the rebuilding opportunities there. And, you know, it really just kind of highlights, I think, the rise of analytical-minded executives around the league where Sam Hankey came to power in Philadelphia and – well, Boston traded KG and Paul Pierce the same night that Ben Hinkie started the process there. And it just kind of highlights how to win a title, their offices are calculating their odds more and more every single year. And one of the biggest calculations that we've learned is that championships are often won by players who are top five players in the league. And most typically they're drafted in the top five and the most direct route to get them not by trade, not by free agency, but by being bad, by tanking and getting those lottery odds. And that's why you saw us do what they could to get Victor Wamanyama. And two years before that, or three years before that, we saw such a tanking race for teams to try to get Zion Williamson. So I think that that strategy is going to be here to stay as long as the dividends continue to be so positive. Mm -hmm. Grant? Yeah, I was going to say, do you still see it in today's game where teams – will play bad, maybe not on purpose, but they may not put the best team out on the floor. So that's why the book's called Built to Lose, because the roster is <laughs> designed to be insufficient and full of young players who are getting opportunities, but they aren't exactly uh, well-versed in winning right now. So, yeah, even in this year's draft, the 2024 draft is, is not considered to be you know, a draft with that top obvious guy, but you still see the Washington Wizards. They're going to trade Bradley Beal away for Phoenix last year. And the word right now, as the trade deadline's approaching, is that the Wizards are looking to move any any and everyone on their roster as long as they can get future draft capital. You know, the Oklahoma City Thunder are, are a clear benefit from it. You know, they traded away their veterans to get their real crown jewel and shake Otis Alexander, but, you know, Lou Gens Dort's a first round. Anything got Chet Holmgren number two. Jalen Williams is a stud that they got in the lottery where all of a sudden you look up and the Thunder are the two seed in the West after really being at the bottom of the standings for a couple of years. So you you can really see in OKC in particular the obvious benefits of what stacking some of those top five pick guys can really do for you. And it's no coincidence that the guys running Washington that we were just talking about, their new GM and President Michael Winger and his number two in command, Will Dawkins, they originated from Sam Presti's Oklahoma City. Hey, Jake, if you were to say who your final four are uh, in going to the NBA Final Four Eastern and Western Conference Championship uh, right now, who would you say and who's meeting in the final? I'm going to say Denver, like we talked about, and one team in the West I haven't given love to yet on this interview is the Los Angeles Clippers. I just think with their three-headed all-star monster of James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, if they're healthy, they're going to be really, really tough to beat in a seven-game series. In the East, I'm going with Boston, and I'm going with Philadelphia, mm. and I think it's going to end up being a Denver Nuggets-Boston Celtics finals right now. 
Wow. It should be a good one. We're looking forward to this uh, little bit of a stretch run. Thanks for your time, Jake. Really appreciate it, and uh, good luck with the book. Thank you, guys. That's Jake Fisher, Yahoo Sports, senior NBA reporter. Uh, so, Grant, I mean, uh, I don't know. I, 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 when he was, uh, when you asked him about a team that was sort of surprising, the New York Knicks, and, you know, we were talking about the trade with the Raptors. I've been kind of watching the Knicks the last bit. They won seven in a row, now moved into fourth in the Eastern Conference. So I think there's a lot of teams that could, uh, you know, pull off a little bit. And you, you asked a good question, too, about is there a team that might surprise you, a team that might, uh, you know, come out, out of nowhere and maybe make a bit of a push here. And I think that that could be one of them. Uh, anything else on your, what, you, what you see there? Yeah, I thought Oklahoma City's got a chance to kind of make a little push as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Clippers, yeah, if everybody's healthy with the Clippers – They'll definitely make a push in the West. What did you make of, uh, we never talked about the NFL here, uh, making, you know, with, and again, Green Bay almost defeated San Fran and Detroit almost beat San Fran. So you can kind of see your Packers were close to being, uh, you know, uh, they could have gone to the Super Bowl if they, you know, pull out a bit of a better effort down the stretch against uh, San Fran. But just your thoughts uh, heading into the Super Bowl here. I think the games have been good. I mean, yeah, I'm a little disappointed that Green Bay lost to San Fran. They had it under control, and San Fran kind of dominated the second half. And then you watch the same thing with Detroit. Detroit had them in a barrel, and San Fran found a way to battle back and dominate the second half. And to get to the finals, good teams will find a way to do that. And San Fran's done a way to do that. Kansas City's pretty much been good all year. They had their little flat spot at the beginning, but – they just seem to find ways to win games. So it's going to be a great Super Bowl. All right. When we come back, we'll wrap things up with Grant Fuhr. Got a bunch of texts to get to. one 1440 If you've got a question for Grant, one of them about uh, the, we've got Bert, we've got uh, ooh, two or three other ones, Gordon D. A uh, couple other ones to get to. Uh, one of them is about the boys on the bus, so Grant. This, uh, Bert says he's watched it a thousand times. Uh, so uh, we'll get to that when we come back. Kevin Carey's Grant Fuhr on Sports 1440. Stay with us. <laughs> Stop it, Duke. Stop it. Uh, you can't dance to that. That gets the body moving in the morning, Kev. <laughs> you got to find a, another way to move it, baby. Uh, welcome back to the big program. Kevin Carey's Grand Fury on Sports 1440 to wrap things up. I want to send out a big congratulations to Lawal Ugwak, who signed a contract with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, uh, Grant, we've had Lawal on several times on the program. He went to school here uh, at Harry Ainley, played for the Titans, then went down south and played at Connecticut, then actually transferred over to TCU, Texan, Texas Christian University, and actually played in the national championship game two years ago and then ended up in Montreal, played with the Alouettes. So, I mean, this is a, a big, big deal uh, for Lawal Ugwak, and again, uh, congrats. Uh, his talented family, Grant, his brother is playing, he's, well, he's playing ball over in Europe right now, uh, basketball, came back here and played uh, for the Edmonton Stingers. His other brothers are playing in college, and his youngest brother, I believe, is just wrapping up at Harry Ainley. So, and it's apparently is the best athlete of the bunch. So, pretty cool. Good for local sports. Yeah, mm. and I mean, again, you know, we have... Chuba Hubbard here, you know, you know, for NFL, and we've had several guys that over the years uh, that went on to play in, in the NFL and, and great. Do you remember Reuben Mays? Did you ever meet him? I do. Yeah. Yep. So he was in North Battleford, played for the Saints and yeah, um, Seattle. He was a heck of a running back. What do you remember of him? He was just a hard nosed running back. Mm-hmm. I think, believe he went down and played at Ohio State. 
Oh, I can't remember where he played. Uh, I believe. I might have been Washington, somewhere in Washington, too. But, uh, um, but then New Orleans. So, yeah, really powerful from uh, North Battleford. So congratulations to, to Lawal. Text coming in, one 833 40. Uh, morning, lads. This is from Bert to you, Grant. Uh, I've watched uh, Boys on the Bus a thousand times. Love it. Speaking of team dinners, and we did touch on that, where did the shoe shine come from, egg on the foot? What's that all about? Oh, geez. That, that came long before I turned pro, where you're sitting at a dinner and usually you sacrifice a rookie to crawl underneath the table and add a little ketchup or steak sauce, whatever you can find to somebody's shoes. Normally one of the coaches or somebody that's traveling with the team, a media person. I, it's happened for years and years. So just like a little bit of ketchup or something, just anything for a little practical joke. Oh yeah. Hey, well, Tick the one year we had dinner with president Ford and Tick thought it'd be a good idea that maybe try and get president Ford. Needless to say that got shut down quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, uh, so he came up with the idea and then, uh, like, just uh, run us through the conversation. He thought it was a good idea and was going to do it. But it, it, doing that to a pres- ex-president, you're a good way to get yourself shot. So <laughs> change of plans. Yeah, I would imagine the uh, security detail, Secret Service might have been on them. Do you imagine them trying to ask, take a question and him trying to respond to that? Well, that would have been even funnier. <laughs> But I forget who it was he got. He got one of the ladies that was traveling with us, and she happened to have open-toed shoes. So it was not a big seller. Did you ever do it to anyone, or did anyone ever do it to you? Oh, I've had it done to me. I've never crawled under the table to get anybody else, but I have had it done to me when I was a rookie. Gordon D. sends in a text to 1-833-401-1440. Good morning, KK. Can you ask Grant if it's true? Mark Messier went to pick up Adam Graves, uh, Peter Klima, Joe Murphy when they got traded from the wings. Thanks, Gordon. You remember that at all, Fierzy? Um, I'm not sure who picked him up. It would either probably, if it wasn't Mess, then it would have been um, Bob, and I can't think of his last name right now off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But that but happened it, all the time. Glenn's right? right-hand guy. Yeah. Um, Bruce in the park says, my favorite Grand Fear story was when I was fortunate enough to play with him. We sat in the dressing room and he shared a Chicago stadium stairs after warm-up story. Great storyteller. Well, I would assume this would be at like a charity event unless you were. Yeah, it would have been a crash and burn down the stairs. Um, the, the stairs weren't designed for goalies. <laughs> no. Uh, from Rockford. And here's a kind of a neat one because we were talking about it a little bit with with uh, Cam and things like that. Did uh, Did Grant ever practice scoring on an empty net? Did you ever? Uh, no, actually, we had a couple of skating drills where we had to fire it at an empty net. And if we missed, then we ended up having to skate. Slots used to do that to us once in a while. Mm-hmm. But that would have been the only practice at firing it at open net. And our squad had so many guys that could score. The last person they wanted to score was us. <laughs> did, uh, again, did you ever have an opportunity where, and would you have tried it with being down, you know, sorry, being up? One goal, or would you have said, oh, I might maybe think about it uh, with a two-goal lead in an empty net? Yeah, two goals maybe. One goal, no, you just want to make saves with one goal. And the last thing in the world with all the guys that we had, the last person you want handling the puck was me. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know about that, but uh, just an interesting uh, dynamic. Um, were you ever close to you know, trying it and having any luck at all? I think I hit the side of the net once. 
but that, that's as close as I came. And there wasn't a whole lot of opportunities. We didn't play a lot of close games back then. <laughs> no. Uh, did you have, were you able to get a lot of uh, height on your attempts or how, how would? Uh... I could if I had to. Yeah. I mean, most of it was you just, you either fire it off the glass or you're making a direct pass to somebody. So there wasn't a lot of taking pot shots at the net. Mm-hmm. But again, as you said, it was just different time, I guess, in the sense where the, the, the players seem to have, would you say they have a little more whip on the sticks and be able to, I guess, launch it a little more? Oh, yeah. The, the one-piece stick definitely launches it a lot easier. I mean, we had the old stick was wood, it was heavy, and it was made for stopping pucks. It wasn't made for shooting them. Yeah, no kidding. Do you find if you, uh, you know, in the last little bit when you ever put the gear on that you noticed a massive difference, just weight and uh, balance and things with it? Not once in a while, I wandered down to the dressing room, picked the guy's stuff up. It's so much lighter. Mm-hmm. I mean, our sticks used to be heavy and kind of cumbersome, whereas the new sticks are extremely light. Uh, where is this one? Uh, Duke, did you find the one about the putter? Because we were talking about putters with Grant last weekend. Um I have no shortage of them. Yeah, well, that's what I think this is kind of a, um, well, here it is uh, from Ronnie. My dad is friends with someone who knows Grant and got me one of Grant's putters, uh, Scotty Cameron uh, Coronado 2, about a decade ago for Christmas. I love it and will use it for the rest of my life. So you are 100% on Scotty Cameron putters, right? Actually, I've had a Bettinardi in my bag now for just over two years. Oh, so what's that one about? It might be the longest I've ever had a putter in my bag. So <laughs> it's it's one one of the guys at the tour van here during the American Express a couple of years ago. I went down to fiddle around on a Monday morning and say, hey, and he had nobody was there. So he had time to fit me for it. And it's been really good. Why have you changed putters so often? It's easier to blame the putter than it is the guy <laughs> using it. Yeah. Always the operator, huh? It's the operator's got demons, but. It's easier to change out the utensils. So, uh, Grant Fuhr with us uh, on a Tuesday morning, Sports 1440. Uh, just as we kind of get close to wrapping things up here, the, for the last two weeks, Grant, every time we've been talking about the Edmonton Oilers, it's been about their winning streak. So, 16 wins in a row. Uh, uh, what uh, We're kind of running out of superlatives and things to talk about this team, but I guess what did you see in that last week where maybe they didn't play their best against some teams, but we're able to kind of keep this run going. Well, that's the sign of a good hockey club is if you haven't got your A game, you can still win the ugly games. And there's, you'll take ugly wins. I mean, there's nothing ugly about winning. But at the same time, it's such a talented team that everybody expects them to win pretty every night. And the fact that they're winning the ugly games is a really good sign going forward. Just a a thought on the the goaltending situation here. I think both goalies have been great. I mean, obviously Stu's, found his groove and he's playing extremely well, but Calvin Pickard's played extremely well as form also. I mean, I got a chance to see Calvin here when he was with Bakersfield and he was phenomenal the night here. So it's, it's nice to see that they've got some confidence in their goalies now and they're just playing. And you know, Years, well, not years, sorry, at the start of the year, Grant, and let me correct myself. At the start of the year, when Stu was having a very difficult time, I would go on the NHL stats page and I was, would try to find where his stats were. Well, he wasn't on the first page. He wasn't on the second page. He was on the third page, where guys that barely even are playing in the league are on the third page. But now, Stu Skinner is. He's back is, on the first page. Yeah. Well, now his goals against average is 2.44. That's the same as Thatcher Demko. And Thatcher yeah. Demko gets 
and he's in the Vezina conversation all the time. So, but Demko gets in the conversation because he's had a very consistent year. Yeah, Stu started like the team did in a little bit of a valley, but he's battled his way out of it. And the fact that he's battled his way out of it, I think, is the most impressive part. That mm-hmm. because if you read the first oh what two and a half months, all everybody did was down on the goaltenders. Another term I was going to use, but probably not proper. Yeah, so yeah, everybody were. was down on the goalies. And it's the easiest position to be down on because a red light points out every mistake. So the fact he didn't let that get to him and has battled his way back says a lot about Stu. So Stu Skinner is tied for six with Thatcher Demko with a 2.44 goals against uh, average. Do you know who number four is in the league, Grant? Um, off the top of my head, no. Well, he would be a guy that you've been singing his praises for for months, and everyone was kind of going, "What the hell is Grand Fear talking about?" So I think I, you might have figured it out by now. Um, who was I talking about for months? Just at the start of our show, when we when we started the show, basically in September, I asked you about one goaltender in particular that was at Coachella Valley that now is the oh, is Joey, the, yeah, Joey Decord. Joey, Joey's been great. He's been he's great all last year, mm-hmm. and he's consistent, and he's been great this year and consistent. And this his ceiling is the top of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could get better still. He's uh, goals against average 2.36. Obviously, he doesn't have the minutes like a, a Thatcher Demko or a Sergei Bobrovsky or a Connor Hellebuck right now. I would would you say Connor Hellebuck is is uh, number one right now for a Vezina? Yeah, I would say. Mm-hmm. That's the way it looks right now. It's either him, Demko. I think you're going to see Vasilevsky back in the change by the end of the year now that he's healthy. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, run us down what's going on again here with uh, Coachella Valley with the games this week, Grant. Well, we get the Calgary Wranglers in here Wednesday, Thursday. Actually, yeah, Wednesday, Thursday, and then we've got Tucson in here on Saturday. So it's it's a big week for us. We're a couple of points up on Calgary. I think we're one point up on Tucson. So it's some important games before we get to the All Star break up here. And this takes a bit bit a uh, bit of a bite out of your golf uh, game, then. Yeah, this week it'll be a little bit quieter, but at the same time, it's still fun to beat the rink every day. It is. Uh, hey, Fierzy, thanks for uh, hopping on as you usually do for the uh, two hours on, on Tuesdays. Really appreciate it. Also, I don't know if you heard, we're going to have Dick Irvin on tomorrow. Maybe I did tell it, did tell you that. That's one. what you were saying. Yeah, did say that'll, that, yeah. that'll be impressive. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I, I had a good conversation with Dick for about a half an hour yesterday. Uh, just to talk about what was going on and, and things like that. So really looking forward to that. Uh, thanks for hopping on here, Fierzy. Uh, have some good calls. And uh, when you do get a golf game in, hit them straight, big guy. Thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Ah, uh, We will. That's uh, Grant Fuhrer uh, down in Palm Desert and our co-host on uh, the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440 from 9 to 11 every Tuesday. Thanks to all our guests that came on today. Dan Kangirski from uh, Pittsburgh Hockey Now. Mark Spector, Frank Cervelli uh, from Rogers Sportsnet and the Daily Faceoff at 8 o'clock and 8.20. Cam Connor, great guest in studio. A lot of great comments about Cam. And boy, uh, there weren't too many tougher guys in the league, uh, WHA or NHL, when Cam Connor played. Uh, Jake Fisher, also from Yahoo Sports and the senior NBA reporter. And of course, Grand Fuhr, our co-host, uh, 9 to 11 on Tuesdays. Coming up, top of the hour, it is Fantasy Frenzy with... The former Ross Shep T-Bird. <laughs> Connor Alley and the Duke of Delburn at uh, 12 o'clock. It's the lowdown with Alan Mitchell. Two o'clock, Jason Greger takes us home on Sports 1440. Uh, Before that, 
And, you know, oh, oh, are we switching gears here or what? Oh, yeah, we are. The Duke is handing the gear off. I was I was wondering who I'm promoting for the Sports 1440 update. But, yes, it is going to be the lovely and talented Donovan, the intern. Uh, 1986 NHL All-Star Game at the Reunion Arena in Dallas. <laughs> Not quite. We were just off a little bit. NBA, NHL, hey, it's all the same. Uh, good job, Donovan. Thanks uh, for being a part of the show. Thanks to our listeners. Thank you so much for being uh, a part of it, sending the text in. Uh, we'll see you back here tomorrow at uh, 7 o'clock with our co-host, David Schlemko. Uh, up next, uh, Sports 1440 Update with Donnie P.